Good evening everyone. We are here with another episode of Concast, the consulting podcast. Today, we are here we have with Mr. Harsh Gandhi. Hello sir. On behalf of Consult, the consulting club of National Institute of Bank Management Pune, we welcome you sir to our podcast and it's a great pleasure to host you for the same sir. Absolutely delighted to be here with you folks. Uh, I hope this is a good conversation to have and add value to everyone of you. Thank you so much. So, before we move on to our podcast for today, sir, we would be honored if you can give us a short background about you and the work that you do at McKinsey & Company. Uh, I think I come from a slightly different background to a lot of folks do an MBA. So, I am someone who is a commerce graduate from the Narsimonji College of Commerce and Economics, uh, after which I took the lunch and decided to become a chartered accountant as well. So, chartered accountant who cleared his final exams in 2016. Uh, did my articleship with PwC, which was the first experience of sorts, which really, you know, uh, shaped my entire perspective and led me to do an MBA from IIM Lucknow, uh, where one of the most crucial experiences for me was uh, the fact that I was part of the investment club there. Okay? Uh, credence capital. So we were doing actual investing on the ground, managing a fund of almost 10 lakhs. And this has been something which has been continuing since almost 2005 now. So one of the oldest ones. Uh, but post that, I think the summer's process is where I got into McKinsey. Honestly, being a CA was always confused about consult versus finance. And it's something which a lot of commerce grads will face in their journey as well. Uh, but was someone who made that decision extremely late. So late that on the day of the interview, I appeared for a JP Morgan uh, markets interview and then did not get through and went to McKinsey um, & Company. Thank you so much, sir. We are sure that this podcast and today's topic, that is new ways of banking, would definitely give an insight to our listeners. So now let's move on to our first question. So as earlier, Banking used to take place only during business hours and only in the branch. But now that is not necessarily the case anymore. And uh, I want uh, we want to know your views about how are things changing and why. I think it's primarily with the fact that uh, while banks used to run by their business hours, money never money required never used to uh, change, right? So you would require it twenty four by seven. You would have medical issues. Uh, you would have Anytime you require cash, right? So first, the innovation started with the setup of ATMs, right? That was something which was revolutionary. Everybody wanted an ATM card, but not everybody could get it. But ultimately, I think post 2014, uh, everybody realized that the digital revolution is here to stay. I think Amazon and Tripcart, the way that turned around the economy, everybody realized that digital is the way to go. Uh, and that's something that has been accelerated, especially after demonetization. So when people had to physically queue up to get cash, right? So that was already theirs. Just to either exchange notes or to get new notes, right? Uh, that's where people really realized if we move from a cash-based economy to a cashless economy, it becomes even better uh, and more useful for the customer to do. Uh, that basically kicked off. One of the first initiatives of sort uh, was YONO, which is the ecosystem of State Bank of India. Uh, where they basically have everything, right? So you have your typical banking facilities, you have your EMA, the financial marketplace, which is where you can purchase insurance, which you can invest in mutual funds, uh, everything else. 
then you also had the e-commerce marketplace of sorts where they integrated and created deals of their own so till that point of time i think a lot of banks especially private banks had focused on specific parts of each of these uh ecosystem but they did not really focus on of bringing all of them together so it basically started with loro uh, i think the journey was somewhere it needed to be kicked off by the public sector banks right uh, which have the highest amount of customers but also added to that they had they had the highest amount of reach as well uh which really kicked it off and then came in the financial inclusion norms right so the jam perennity which is extremely celebrated about everybody's wanted to make everybody part of the financial ecosystem so when they wanted to do financial inclusion it did not make commercial sense to open a brick and mortar branch in a rural area where it could service only one village or at max two villages because india is a land of villages but it's still extremely far apart within a 5 km radius you would typically convert in cities that population would be anywhere between 10000 to a lakh in villages a 5 km radius can be anywhere between 1000 to 5000 folks so the commercials did not make sense and hence people went down the digital route um today the post pandemic world is extremely different you have folks who have uh, you know specialized now in payments i think the demo revolution uh, after that everything changed in terms of payments uh, today a lot of people are also focusing on uh, wealth management as a space because everybody is realizing there's a emerging middle class which is going to become the core of the economy extremely soon and they will require some facilities to invest which till now everybody used to invest in very secure uh, environments such as fd or atmax uh, nsc uh, ppf etc but suddenly people are realizing you know there's an exciting space of portfolio managed services uh, alternative investment funds and more right uh, but ultimately what has happened is banking has had to cope up with the entire churn of this financial revolution that india is undergoing right now uh which means that if i want to bank today i as a customer i need to have convenience at my fingertips which means typically a customer who is digitally enabled which after the telecom revolution slash downfall uh has become very crucial right so everybody has access to the internet uh, almost 60 to 65% of the country today has that and india is already aiming at making that 100% by 2023 if not later so that basically means that everybody is going to have access to the digital environment which ultimately means the banks need to have a extremely good propositions on, on internet banking on mobile banking on uh, apps basically reaching out to the youth of india today uh the youth of india which is actually inspired by previously tiktok and now extremely inspired by facebook and instagram right so if you want to capture their attention it's not going to be via the branch people don't want to they want to travel for wanderlust they don't want to travel for bank balance uh so it has to be outside of so no salaried person today is working a 9 to 5 job everybody is working beyond that but banking used to be and 9 what 9 am to 3 pm kind of a job at least for customers that could not work you have had banks which have created these propositions where uh their relationship managers 
will talk to salary folks on saturdays and sundays because that's typically when these folks are so now the focus is on creating this sub segmentation and the service model starts differing based on the sub segmentation that's how i can put it in terms of the new age of banking yes the next question is uh, what kind of technologies are banks employing to achieve the dual goals of keeping up with customer demand and boosting the efficiency i think it's primarily the fact that whichever journeys uh, they can automate uh, they can reduce manual input into and they can introduce third party sources to verify rather than employing bank resources that's where the entire focus is uh, but ultimately what happens is so if you had to open a bank account 20 years ago you had to fill up one full form you needed to have a pan card you needed to have three different types of address proofs and even then the account would not be open because there was one signature missing or there was one scratch on the form from that today onboarding as a journey has been made entirely digital right so if you go to uh, i think the neo banks today have made it absolutely digital yono started tracking it uh, you had hdfc started to track it all of these folks have now begun to understand that onboarding and especially new customer onboarding and what i mean by new customer is i can be an existing customer and trying to buy a new product but if i am a, a entirely new customer to the bank onboarding this kind of a customer highest amount of cost because you need to first convert this customer and then onboard him right today people are realizing that cost can be extremely marginalized so you can have third party partnerships which can help you build up the customer base like very quickly and you also make it entirely digital uh, so for for example right today you need to simply enter your aadhar number it interacts with uidai it gets back in a jiffy otp your aadhar is verified and same process literally 60 seconds the entire process is done so uh, what happens is the earlier days when you had to you know submit an address to submit a uh, identity proof and then get everything done today everything of that part is digital um so that one significant part which has changed in terms of all the services that banks do the second focus of banks has been to digitize a lot of the service transactions so let me introduce what service transactions really mean right uh it basically are those kind of transactions where as a customer i am requiring only information or i am only requiring to do specific tasks for example it can mean uh, you know i want to know my bank balance i want to get a new debit card i want to get a uh, bank statement any of these sorts right so the focus of banks has been to automate a lot of these the simple reason being today simple facts right 20 to 25% of the time of a bank branch is spent on these specific activities the folks who haven't able to digitize this uh, have basically been able to repurpose their entire task force the employee force of this and they have been able to create a massive selling footprint right so everybody who was into servicing as such before has now started to turn towards sales which means the productivity of a bank branch today has gone up significantly 
a simple fact on that one, right? Earlier, customers used to have one to one and a half products per customer. Today, that has increased to four products per customer. So today, as a bank customer, I am not only having a savings relationship, I am also having a potentially an investment relationship. I am also having a locker relationship. I am also so there are many more ways in which I am starting getting entrenched into the entire ecosystem of the financial institutions, which basically makes the entire piece extremely, uh, you know, exciting of sorts. That's the second big focus, and you might see a lot of artificial intelligence, uh, a lot of uh, you know machine learning, which is being applied in this service transactions area for sure. HDFC's Eva has been someone that everybody has looked at. Uh, WhatsApp banking has you know revolutionized the entire piece. Of course, uh, the debacle regarding privacy norms aside, but WhatsApp banking has become it's made banking extremely. At the fingertips of sorts, so the entire focus is to eliminate activities which were not really, you know, adding significant value either to the customer or to the bank, and then starting to repurpose the folks who were focusing on these activities to become much more productive and much more efficient. Yeah, that's about it. Yes. So. uh the another question is related to uh, uh in terms of cost is it really worth using ai for quickly solving small problems of customers like hdfc bank uses eva and icic bank uses ipal so that's exactly what i was talking about right so what really matters is not the development cost of the tech not the development cost of the entire artificial intelligence but it's much more around two big factors right one it becomes easier and much more streamlined to collect information about the customer the consumer of sorts right uh that basically helps the bank provide better choices and better products to the person who's really doing the banking part secondly what it also helps is is ensuring that the productivity of a branch grows up goes up and grows significantly simply because folks are you know now not focusing on spending 2 hours every day just printing bank statements or just updating passbooks right so today a lot of that getting automated a lot of that is through channels which people are typically conversing with so whatsapp banking the chatbots are being deployed there you also have folks coming on the website if you are wanting to do that transaction quickly the artificial intelligence comes in and stops you even you know spending time perusing the entire website finding you know this is where my entire piece is so it's a significant amount of convenience which is happening to the customer journey a typical bank statement even 10 years ago on internet banking portals of banks used to take anywhere between 1 and 1/2 minute to 2 minutes today that come down to anywhere between 10 seconds to 20 seconds so it's a significant reduction in the amount of time which is being spent and the reason why folks are you know really looking at not just the cost of it is also the fact that while it is uh, the proposition sounds extremely costly the proposition sounds extremely long stretched but the amount of impact it can have on the employee force where they can really focus their minds 
on simply providing the best inputs to the customers rather than doing everything else. That is something which is going to revolutionize banking going forward. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, in the post-COVID era, a new industry, namely BNPL, has emerged and got a lot of traction. So, what is the future of this industry in India? And do you think that once the situation gets back to normal, we will see demands changing? So, there are two aspects to BNPL, right? There's the retail side of things, where you and me going on Amazon and using the BNPL facility is something which is it's going to continue because everybody's tasted credit. Whoever has tasted credit, they realize how valuable it is. But it's being a much bigger case on the business side of things. So small MSMEs, which till today, right, were always much more on of a cash business. They were focusing a lot on you know a simple Kirana store, for example, right? They focused on local service. They focused on getting cash through and were but all of these folks. were facing a lot of liquidity issues uh, while the entire distributor system of uh, the retail side the the uh, heavy uh, manufacturing industries etc was being made to enable the entire credit flow into these msmes but it did not really work approximately as well as they thought about it right so for example if i was a distributor of X retail company. If I preferred these specific stores, I wanted to give credit only to those stores, or I would be selling only to those stores. I won't be selling to everybody else. Today, what BNPL really does is unlock a lot of liquidity for everyone in this MSME system, which has suffered massively uh, post everything which has happened on the MSME uh, on the NBFC side of things, right? So the ILFS entire saga. Uh, Before that, the collapse of microfinance banks uh, on the rural side of things, right? So everywhere they were gasping for credit, uh, which and especially with the credit tightening which has been going through, uh, with the RBI focusing on you know cleaning the banks books up since 2013, has also made the banks worry of you know giving credit to these folks because they don't really have anything behind them. What a BNPL is doing is revolutionizing this entire MSME space. Uh, they are now able to get credit, and hence they are now able to focus on getting inventory in. Uh, they are now able to invest in growing the business rather than just running the business. So it's it's here, it's here to stay for the long term. It's just that who capitalizes on it is a big question at this point of time because. uh you have some amount of regulation which will come in ultimately you will have the bigger players or the incumbents really trying to ensure that nobody else comes in but traditionally the neo banks have cracked this space at this point of time uh, you know bharat pay has made it the entire state space it's been uh, they started with a simple qr based payment system which is now starting to get into credit as well so they will actually formalize this bnpl and make it even bigger that's all i have to say so let's move on to our next question so uh what uh, so with the introduction of instant loan services do you think a bigger chunk of advances from banks will turn into bad, bad loans and how can banks create a new credit model to cater this demands so honestly this is a uh, 
this is an argument that a lot of people are putting today right especially of the corporate corporate debacle that has happened uh, where a significant chunk of the books had to be cleaned ibc did not you know initially work as efficiently as was expected it had its own teething issues everybody is focusing a lot on this entire space of personal loans and instant loans right what what folks are not realizing is the credit engines of today and of the future are going to be much more advanced than they were even maybe i don't know 5 years ago or 6 years ago to be precise the revolution began from demonetization which is where the entire system shifted from a significantly cash utilizing economy to a more of a balance between cash and transactions which are driven by the bank right or by formal entities so what has now happened has that people started having a credit history if not a credit history they started having some form of financial history to themselves uh that's part one to the entire equation the second part of the entire equation is today credit engines do not consume just your financial data they are capable of consuming your social media data as well and creating a model for you basically utilizing different points of data to simply get into what can be what credit worthiness you have and how much can the bank really lend to you that's the second part which has happened third part from point of view of businesses right this entire revolution which happened around gst so today banks and financial institutions aren't really focusing on the income tax statements of these entities they are just focusing on how much is the gst return just from a gst amount and a gst return they are able to give out a potential credit amount and that's amazing right because no no none of these folks were ever going to qualify for credit had it been 5 6 years ago they are going to get credit now that's the third big part the reason why all of these three these what of these three areas have now started coming up is the fact that all of these ecosystems uh, now are really focusing on ensuring a complete view of the customer versus just a financial view of the customer um what i mean by that is had it been 6 years ago people were simply focusing on do you have a good credit score uh do you have uh you know repayment capability etc 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 but uh, now the focus of the entire ecosystem is basically on ensuring a complete view of you so uh people are trying to assess spending habits right so a lot of these spend analyzers that you are seeing today uh for example the et spend analyzer which began as a spend analyzer and now they have started focusing on creating an entire ecosystem where they can provide you a lot of stuff around investments that their job but a lot of the banks started using the spend analyzer to really assess what how do you spend your money how much is cash to live how much is not cash to live and then just going on to me understand how much of your entire credit worthiness comes from that piece the second thing that folks have now started doing is data crawling right? what i mean by data crawling is they go on to websites a simple linkedin scrap of the person to really assess where they are in the entire uh, you know journey of getting a job versus already in a job or potentially looking out for a job trying to assess what their future income is going to look like in the in the case of salary in case of businesses they have as i said they have started using gst data additionally they have also started using 
data around, for example, which CA do you employ to file your returns, right? Entirely a lot of these small, 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 small factors, which ultimately build up to your profile. And that basically gives an answer to whether you are credit worthy and how much you are credit worthy. So it's a very different ball game versus what it was six, seven years ago. And I would say probably 10 years down the line, there might be a situation where today, where you, you know, for a home loan, you typically take anywhere between four days to 15 days, a home loan would, ha- would be dispersed in as low as 60 minutes. The reason for that is, right, so a home loan requires a significant ton of physical paperwork today. You need to, you know, understand what the property is about, what the legal aspect of that property is, what's the valuation of that property, etc., 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 which is even today a slightly physical process. It is driven by valuers, it is driven by uh, lawyers, etc., who are doing it a lot physically. But with the way that states are going about, right, land records getting digitized and a lot of it being available at a single click or via an API, uh, you know, the entire valuation piece being sorted by the uh, states themselves, right? So a lot of all of this might simply get, you know, a API driven revolution, which is coming, which has been coming, but is going to increase post COVID if that happens, right? So today you get KYC information at the click of a button or via APIs. Uh, in the future, you might get land records, you might get legal assets, the legal ownership part, the valuation part, etc. The only physical part of the process might simply be the signing of the agreement, but even that can be digitized by use of a digital certificate, a DSC, right? Uh, or it can be anything else. So it can be made an entirely digital journey provided states continue on their journey and the regulatory framework is in place. But Imagine getting a home loan in 60 minutes. It's unheard of. It's not something that anybody can believe, but it can be a rea- reality 10, maybe 15 years down the line. Okay. So, our next question is uh, As banks in India haven't implemented IFRS yet, but will be implementing it soon. So what changes can be seen in banks' financial statements after the application of IFRS and how it will have an overall impact on Indian banking industry? Hmm. I think it's, it has its pros and cons. Uh, honestly, I haven't delved a lot on this space in the consulting aspect of it, but on a personal front, right, at least a couple of pros that I see, it will make the banks' books a lot more visible to the folks who understand. So that's a significant qualification, right? So folks who understand these balance sheets post IFRS will have a lot more information to really, you know, create warning bells about the banks whenever, whatever they are doing, right? So something like the PNB uh, entire case of fraud, right? Or let's say maybe the ILFS collapse. All of these can potentially get better uh, warned about to the entire ecosystem simply because these folks are using IFRS. And the reason for that is how you recognize liabilities, how you recognize assets for banks might be something which changes significantly. That's a pro part of it. The con part of it is even today banks' financial statements are inaccessible or not understandable by probably 90 to 95% of the crowd in India. 
initial the beginner investors in india if i take it back right it will become even higher because these banks or rather the financial statements of these banks will become even more difficult to understand so that's the entire perspective i have at least from the point of view of ifrs to those who understand it it gets better to those who don't understand it you'll have to put in significant amount of effort to just understand so our next question is what is api banking services and how it works with the launch of account aggregator by rbi how api is going to unfold in the future of banking as it is already an integral part of e-commerce platforms so honestly I'll, let me put it this way right uh, i won't paint the uh, entire picture for india i would rather look at it from perspective of two economies who have put in the account aggregator framework much earlier than us which is i mean i'm sure you might guess one of them but the other one for sure you won't the first one is united kingdom and the second one is bahrain so both of these economies implemented all of the accounting the account aggregator framework much before india even thought about it right uh, in bahrain it's still i would say under a sandbox of sorts which by which i mean it's where everybody is still developing that entire system trying to figure out regulations etc uk where it has slightly more advanced has basically uh, it's caused a significant amount of revolution right uh, you would have never heard of digital only banks 3 4 years ago but today you have monzo you have revolut you have genius which is by goldman sachs and a potentially uh, new entrant from jpmc right so all of these folks have started realizing the fact that if an account aggregator framework comes into being it gives a lot more power to the customer for example right how it does that so today if i have a credit card of bank a i don't really know whether it's good whether it's bad sometimes i might not even realize what the benefits of that credit card are the moment an account aggregator framework comes into place and slightly more in the future you also have a marketplace aspect to that account aggregator uh, framework right simply what they will do is you know what this is your bank credit card if i have to rank another bank's credit card against it i will say you know what this is the entire checklist this is where i am good enough where your bank credit card does not provide this today as a customer i don't have that information i need to go out to different banks i need to get out get their entire set of benefits i need to compare them physically why whereas the moment the marketplace aspect of ea gets in it's at a click of a button i just need to provide my consent i need to do a basic search that's it you have all of this happening at fingertips of the customers the second part to this entire framework right is even more on the asset side of things right so today for example uh, again i focus a lot bit on home loans because that's one of the largest retail segments of sorts and that's something that a lot of people a lot of folks on this call will also see going forward right uh, buying their first home so on home loans what really happens today is if i have a home loan from bank x at a particular interest rate um you will see a lot of fluctuations in these rates right uh, so for example today the lowest rate is 6.5% on a home loan now not everyone is offering it 
and for banks who are offering it as well, we are offering it for new customers and not for existing customers, right? So let's say you are a customer of State Bank of India who got the loan, I don't know, maybe 2020, uh, March, April of 2020, where the interest rates were typically around 7% or so for everybody in the industry, starting from 6.8% and went up till 8, 9%, but let's say you took it at 7%. What happens today is SBI is offering these loans to new customers at 6.75%, for example. Whereas uh, a bank of Baroda goes ahead and says, you know what, it's 6.5% for myself. If I want to switch today, it's a 45-day process. Because you need to get the documents from SBI. You need to submit those documents to Bank of Baroda. Bank of Baroda will take that decision, get to the loan. But then the entire transfer of the loan will also take its own sweet time. Versus an account aggregator framework, one, I don't need to do a research of my own. I can straight away go to the marketplace. It tells me, you know what, these are the banks who are offering much better terms. Uh, the switch is also going to be easy because everybody has the same amount of information. An SBI would have the same information as what a bank of Burda or an HDFC would have about it. And hence, they just need to tweak their credit engines to really find out whether I am their, potentially their customer or not. And that's it. That's how they can disburse loans extremely quickly. So that's the retail side of it, right? But you also have this layer of credit which is coming up, which is OCEN. Uh, you might not hear it right now, but you will definitely hear about it in the next two to three years to come. It's part of the India stack that they talk about, right? So OCEN is basically open credit. What really means is account aggregator framework will work on the liability side of things massively. On asset side of things, it might not really plug in a lot of information. But once Okin comes in as a layer, it adds a lot of value on the asset side of things for banks, the loan side of things for banks, makes the entire experience for the customer extremely, extremely convenient. And it makes the entire space for banks extremely complicated. So you will see a lot of new banks will start now popping up to specifically service a sub-segment of the market. Uh, so, for example, right, uh, till today you would have never heard an uh, entity which was basically providing credit cards for children. But you have a startup called SamPay today, which has basically made this entire piece a reality, where as a parent, you can get ahead and get your kid into the, the uh, habit of building credit and utilizing credit and how to really, you know, making that financial literacy aspect of it work. So you have family which is working on that. You also have, for example, uh, uh, some, so for example, for folks, for students who are migrating to different countries today, right? Um, you know, let's say Indians going to US for studies, Indians going to UK for studies, Indians going to Europe in general or Australia in general for studies. It's extremely difficult for them to, uh, you know, get credit in the US, Australia or Europe, right? Because they don't have any credit there. What happens is you have um, startups who are in this space, for example, Zoll, right? which is now trying to solve for this by saying, I will take the India credit of this person and try to create a credit history for this person in the US as well, while providing specific sources of credit to them as well. They are extremely initial. They are very, very initial in this case. 
but if they are able to crack it it will be beating the likes of sbi which has not been able to crack this as well. so they will beat a big big bank very quickly so the new banks will now start focusing on these sub segments of such whereas the banks will continue their entire journey of focusing on all sectors so uh, uh, so our next question is after the introduction of cbdc will neo banks take over the traditional banks and uh, also do you think that jobs will take a hit in banking industry due to digital revolution uh, let me put it this way right so i don't think jobs are going to reduce ever i mean banking or financial institutions as an industry is it's always going to be ever expanding the role of folks will change however significantly uh so to to partially the entire conversation right so today the folks who are getting freed up because of the digital revolution in terms of artificial intelligence in terms of everything digital right they will now have to develop capabilities to build this task force into a pure place sales force right no no pun intended or a plug for sales force but still so the entire perspective is to for a lot of people right so now you will see a significant focus on wealth management where some of these folks might become wealth managers you will have a significant focus on the entire perspective of relationship managers or relationship banking of sorts right where they will have to repurpose themselves to move from a traditional banking aspect to actually servicing customers on much more just than just their banking needs literally becoming their partners in, on the financial side of things so that the entire perspectives that the the mindset change which needs to happen for the task force thinking about going into banking of the future that's the one part which is happening the second part is neo banks will be successful when at this point of time they are because they are focusing on very specific sub segments which traditional banks do not service had if those banks start to service then neo banks are at risk but the fact is the neo banks are focusing on a sub segment which is not having as much value for a traditional bank which it has for that neo bank right so for example the problem that fanpay is solving for banks have a lot of lot of things riding on it today but for them so selling a credit card versus you know versus selling a credit they would prefer much more to sell potentially a personal loan or some product which is let's say a insurance policy for them it's more valuable so for them to fight neo banks in the space where neo banks are operating it will be extremely tough because they will face issues of scalability because they are already extremely huge but they will have to be, they will have to scale that entire thing up themselves up versus neo banks who are starting from scratch that's part one to the entire conversation the second part to the end of conversation is regulations will come into neo banks and the reason why i am seeing regulations will come into neo banks is space can't remain unregulated but the fact is they will be regulated in a different way shape and form as compared to the banks because today the banks are too big to fail the public has invested a lot into these banks and they can't fail so you have seen that happened with the uh, pmc case in maharashtra right so it caused mayhem 
you can't have banks failing and hence banks will continue on their potential path and that's my personal opinion right which is they will focus on basically ensuring everybody has a financial base but the financial adventuring is going to remain with new banks the adventurism is where the new banks can actually do have the risk appetite and additionally they also have the scalability factor which they don't need to really take care about so simple enough they will play in the turf they might have a fiction with traditional banks but they will remain unbeatable on their turf okay so a last question to you is do you have any advice for our listeners regarding the consulting world or regarding a career in consulting no honestly i think there is no better time to get into consulting right so today everybody in terms of clients is really looking up to change to a post covid scenario i mean it's there's no point in denying that this pandemic has changed the world massively but how do you, you really cope up to the long term shifts behind this how do you change your operating model today right you know going from a pure work from office model to a pure work from home model to potentially something which is hybrid right in the long term how do you manage that for example folks like google have said you know what you can do 100% work from home but there are repercussions where pay gets affected you know you if you operate from a low cost uh, locality you get paid lesser not everybody is looking into that aspect as well so there is a change in operating model that you really want to understand not everybody i would say not everybody i would say everybody still figuring it out nobody has figured it out at this point because the pandemic still here if it moves out then we will see right but that's part one that a lot of folks are solving for the second part that everybody is solving for is the entire digital part of things right so today i mean even the most traditional clients are actually looking forward to the digital revolution in some way shape or form because they realize their customers are turning digital if they don't they will be passed by and folks who are actually digital will get those customers so that's the second wave of things which is happening on the ground the third wave of things which is happening on the ground is a significant amount of transformation right so for example supply chains are now being looked at to ensure there is no country dependability of source right so today for example when the entire shutdown happened right a lot of supply chain folks were focused on china today especially with the power crisis which is happening there everybody is you know even in a more acute problem where supply chain has has been entirely ravaged pharma saw it first now it's happening to the manufacturing side of things as well so folks are now solving critical problems which are transforming their organizations which is transforming their supply chain which trans- transforming their people policy who do we hire so till now a lot of people were focusing on hiring generalists and making them specialists within the organization versus now a lot of there is a clear division for jobs which require some amount of intellectual capability right they are now trying to actually create specialists in each of the role rather than looking at just simply generalists so that's the entire thing which is you know the entire new people model of sorts how that is going to get me uh, the new supply chain model of the future how that, that's going to get me etc etc so that that is the third set of problems which everybody solve 
but everybody is figuring it out nobody has figured it out everybody is figuring it out and that's where at least what folks in management consulting are able to provide a ground on is provide what's best in class provide what's benchmark right so so a simple example today right banks are looking to uber and ola for their onboarding journey why because uber and ola were the first folks who simplified it beyond anything so now they are wondering you know what how can i bring that operations uh, factory level uh, capability to me and help me in my journey as well so now they are not looking within their own sector they are looking across sectors to get the best in class benchmarks and someone who's within the bank won't know this but someone who's management consulting right management consulting will actually have that view or will be able to get that view from you know experts around the world they will be able to get that view from people within the firms themselves so a lot of knowledge which is generated within the firms so as a consultant you are set if you at this point of time you are looking forward to the entire journey the second perspective i would say is also the fact that internally consulting firms are looking at a lot of shift as well and what i mean by that is consulting till now uh, used to be a very tightly run shift right so management consulting especially you had very specific set of folks that everybody was looking for they used to do some amount of strategy you know and a bit of implementation that's it but today's consulting right is now a much more specialist driven again the same thing which is happening on client side is happening on within management consulting as well never before i think i have had at least maybe maybe 10 years ago potentially the teams would have been you know five or six generalists maybe one specialist right today that management consulting team has suddenly become two or three specialists two or three generalists and five to six specialists most of those five and five to six would be folks who are digital in analytics so the entire industry is facing a revolution where they are going from insight driven uh management consulting to actually data and insight and analytics driven consulting so it's a massive shift which is happening on that front as well so that's the entire space if i were to put it that way that's that's where management consulting is you have different set of clients different set of problems to solve for and within the organizations also you have different set of folks who are solving for them. uh for folks trying to get into consulting again i would say never been a better time to get into consulting everybody is looking to hire i mean and literally everybody is looking to hire there's a significant shortage of talent and that's where the entire next war is going to happen between corporates which is on talent and that's where everybody is struggling so the point is if you are looking to forward to a consulting job go for it honestly there's never been a better time maybe 2008 uh, but there's never been a better time after that for sure so yeah it was pleasure hearing you sir Uh, we sincerely thank you sir for giving us your valuable time and sharing your expertise and knowledge with all of us and i'm sure that our listeners would have definitely benefited from this conversation and uh, i hope that it was a positive experience for you too thank you sir thank you so much for inviting me and uh, hopefully it's a good experience for everyone who's listening in right now as well as who's going to listen in this in the future thank you thank you so much so on behalf of of the entire club group 
we'd like to thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Honestly, it's a pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure.